John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, please, to the book of 1 Peter. Is everybody there? 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through verse number 11. The Word of God says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves also with the same resolve, because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do, carrying on in in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. So they are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. And for this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, So that although they might be judged by men in the fleshly realm, they might live by God in the spiritual realm. Now the end of all things is near. And therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others. As good managers of the varied grace of God. And if anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength that God provides. So that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we ask your blessings on the reading of your word this morning. And I just pray, as I have prepared for this message today, I pray, God, you'd help me to de- deliver it in a, in a manner that it could be received and give us clarity of thought and understanding. and Help us to see some of these principles, specifically some of these attitudes that we are to have as a body of believers. God, I pray that you would encourage those that, that need encouraging today. I pray, dear God, for that one that is here that just may be down and out and may be struggling. I ask you, God, to encourage their hearts today. If there's one here today that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, may today be the day when they receive you, Jesus, as their Savior. Father, we need you. We stand in total dependence upon you. Speak to our hearts. Speak through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To really understand the writings of Peter, you have to have a little understanding of the time frame that Peter was writing. you got to understand that when Peter was writing this epistle, it was right at the dawn of the great persecution that was going to be onslaught on the church for their faith. It was the time in Rome when Nero wanted to destroy Christianity 
and destroy the faith. There was tremendous persecution about to be unleashed on the church at this time. And in this writing, Peter wanted to encourage. This is a warm letter. This is a letter of encouragement. This is a letter to try to give them some principles, more particularly some attitudes that they are to live by in the midst of some very difficult times that they are fixing to go through. Now, let me ask you a question. How many folks have been through some difficult times in your life? I guess we all have. How many folks have been through some valleys or some hard places or some struggles in your life? As a matter of fact, as some pastors stopped by the church building a week or so ago, and one of them asked me this question and said, how in the world, how in the world have you got through this? How in the world are you able to do this? I said, well, first of all, it's not me. It's God doing it. So we'll get that out of the way. Second of all, it's not me. It's God bringing some great families to be a part of Victory Church that's making this happen. And the third thing I shared with him, it has to do with your attitude. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's hard. That's difficult sometimes to maintain the right type of focus and the right type of attitude as you're going through different trials and you're going through different stages of your life. So I want to try to encourage you today with a little bit of what Peter was trying to encourage the church with. And I want to share with you four attitudes that I think we need to constantly be aware of. As a matter of fact, these four attitudes and and this particular passage of Scripture is very near and dear to my heart and to my spirit because it's really where I try to live on a daily basis. Yes, we live through the entire Word of God, but this passage of Scripture really speaks to me. And it's really what I try to hold on to. And I don't always get it right, and I'm not always perfect. And a lot of times I look around and think, man, I've I've dropped the ball in that particular area of of our attitude, and, and I need to reconcentrate on it a little more. But I want to try to help you today with how to get through some difficult places, mainly mainly how to how to remain faithful. How, how do you stay faithful? You know, because there comes times in your Christian life, I don't, maybe I've, you've never experienced it, but I've experienced that there comes times in, in your Christian life where, man, you just want to throw down the Bible and just kind of walk away and say, you know what, that's too hard. It's just easier to go over here and kind of get out of ministry or, or get out of whatever it is that God's trying to lead you through. You ever been there? Am I, only one, am I the only one that's ever struggled with the idea of maybe, you know, I don't even know if I want to do this. I don't even know if I want to stay faithful. Maybe, maybe there is another way that I need to go. And, of course, oftentimes that's Satan just shooting his fiery darts at you and trying to get you discouraged and trying to get you to lay down the, the, the weapons and, and throw down your armor and get out of the battle and, and to quit. And, and we've all experienced that from time to time, have we not? And I guess well, we all have. So how do we remain faithful through all of that? How do we do that? Well, I think if you can get a hold of these four attitudes that I'm going to share with you, I think these four attitudes will help you to remain faithful. You've got to remember in Peter's writing at this time, it was going to be in the face of severe persecution from the Roman Empire trying to wipe out Christianity. I believe that day may come sooner than we think in America. And gratefully, right now it's not here, but I think it's quickly approaching. As I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm really, I don't know if it's excited or, or aware, or just something, but it seems like every time you turn on the news, it's almost a religious battle taking place all the time. And I believe that intense persecution is going to come on the church 
in America in the future. It already is around other parts of the world. So how do we remain faithful in the face of persecution, in the face of our struggles, through the deep valleys that we may walk spiritually, through the fiery darts that Satan shoots at us? How do we remain faithful? That's what Peter's trying to address. That's what he's trying to get to these believers because he knows that they're going to be faced with intense persecution. So he gives them four attitudes that we should carry out in our life that will help us to remain faithful. On the back of your worship folder, your bulletin, there's a place for you to take some notes. And I want to encourage you, if nothing else, just jot down these four attitudes that I'm going to share with you. And these are four things that we must cultivate in our life if we're going to remain faithful and be used of God in this lifetime. Number one, jot this down if you will, please. We must have a militant attitude towards sin. Now, whenever I talk about a militant attitude towards sin, it's the picture of a soldier that's putting all of his armor on. And and by the way, the book of Ephesians says we are to wear the, the armor of God, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and so forth and so on. We're to suit up every day for this spiritual battle that we're in. And and if we're going to remain faithful through persecution, through trials, through hard places and struggles, then we must have the same attitude that Christ had. And we must have this militant attitude towards sin. And I think that's what verses 1 and 3 is referencing. The Bible says, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves. Get the armor on. Get ready to engage in the battle. Sometimes I think we have a delusion. We have this, this concept that the Christian life, it's, it's all, you know, and I don't know if it's the health, wealth, prosperity movement that's engaged us in this thought process, but we think everything's supposed to be easy. We think everything's supposed to be just a bed of roses and there's no hardship in the Christian life. Friends, listen, it's just the contrary, right? I mean, Scripture says, Jesus says the world's going to hate you. And 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, if you say, well, I don't suffer any persecution, I'd be careful who you tell that to because you just told the world or those that know the Bible that you're not living a godly life. The Bible says, for all those that live a godly life, you shall. We're going to suffer some hardships. And so to endure those things... We must have the right frame of mind. We must have the the right perspective. We must have the correct attitude. And we must have this militant attitude towards sin. Man, we must hate it. We We must be in war against it. We must guard against it. Sometimes in our lives, we get to the place where sin is not as dark as it may once have been. You ever gone into a dark restaurant and you come out of the sunshine and you come out of the daylight and you, you walk into a dark establishment, a darker restaurant possibly where the lights are really dim and you walk in there and initially, man, you just can't see. I'm like, man, I can't see a thing. But after you sit there a while and your eyes begin to get in focus, you get to where you can see pretty good in that dark place, right? Sometimes that's how it is with us concerning sin. When we initially see it or exposed to it, maybe in our Christian walk and our faith, we think, man, that is sinful. And we, and we see how black it is and how dark it is. And, man, that is wrong. But unfortunately, we indulge or we stay around and we kind of get to the place of, I don't know if you want to call it tolerance or acceptance, but we get to the place where now that sin is not as 
dark and black and ugly as it used to be. Right? Listen, if we keep engaging in that type of a mindset, we're not having a militant attitude towards sin. And if we're not we're careful, that will get us sidetracked. And we'll get to the place where we're no longer faithful to the cause of Christ. And we start playing around with the things of the world. I'm trying to talk about the attitude that we must have to remain faithful. And we must have this militant attitude towards sin. Now, there's several things in those, that passage of Scripture. Three things quickly I just want to hit. I don't have time to park and unpack all of these, but I just want to give them to you real quickly. In verse number 1, I want you to think of what sin did to Jesus. Look in verse number 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh. Guys, you know what sin did to Jesus? It caused him tremendous suffering and agony on the cross. He was scourged. He was beaten. He died on the cross. He was literally beaten nearly to death and then crucified on the cross. You know what sin did to Jesus? It nailed him to the cross. Your sins, my sins, the sins of the whole world. And guys, we must never forget that. This thing called Christianity that we have, yes, it is a bloody religion. And a lot of times we we try to polish it up to make it acceptable to the world. But listen, we've got to understand that sin cost Jesus his life. And it was a nasty, ugly scene. Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. Man, that's hard to watch. Is it not? That's difficult to watch. But as I sat and watched that, and knowing what I know about Scripture, I realized that even that movie did not do it justice of all that our Savior went through. So whenever we're having this militant, this, this I'm a soldier, I'm fighting against sin, we must think about what sin did to our Lord. He suffered because of sin. But also, verse 2, as we have this militant attitude towards sin, we must think about the will of God. Look in verse number 2. We must think about and enjoy the will of God. Verse 2 says, live the remaining time in the flesh. Get this, no longer, get this, no longer for human desires, but for what? But for God's will. Right? If we're going to maintain this militant attitude towards sin, then we've got to die to the desires of the flesh. And that's what verse 2 is saying. And we must learn to bask in, and we must learn to enjoy the will of God. I like that. The contrast here in verse 2 is between the desires of man and the will of God. And it seems like they're always constantly in battle. And we must have a soldier's mindset to fight that battle and to enjoy just simply remaining and being in the will of God. And then the third thing, as I said, I don't have time to unpack these, but number three is this one. In verse number three, we must remember what you were, what you were before you met Christ. Look what it says in verse three. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans chose to do. Carrying on on in unrestrained behavior and evil desires and drunkenness and orgies and, and carousing and lawless idolatry. You see, sometimes God wants us to push the pause button and look back and see what he delivered us from. Now, sometimes it may be dangerous for some folks to look back and think and look where, what sins that God has delivered them from. And, 
you know, for, for someone that's really, really struggled with alcohol and an alcoholic. And, and I, I've spoken with several alcoholics and, and they talk about how they don't even want to be around alcohol because the temptation is there. And they don't even want to look at it because the temptation is to be drawn back to it. So sometimes it's dangerous to look back, but I think sometimes it's very beneficial. I think sometimes we do need to look back and we need to see what we were before we were saved. You know what we were? And he, he lists a few, and there's many other lists in the Bible, but he says that you were carrying on in an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, lawless idolatry. I'm reminded that God wanted Israel to look back and remember, and he placed different things in their lives for them to remember. He wanted them to remember what life was like when you were in slavery down in Egypt. And so he put some things in place so they would push the pause button and look back and see what God had delivered them from. Paul, we read, looked back in 1 Timothy 1 and 12. He looked back to see and remember how he was one that persecuted the church. And that almost lit a fire under him and gave him a passion that he would pursue the cause of Christ even greater for all the evil that he did in trying to stop it. So I think there are some benefits for us to look back. You know, I look back in my life and... And I often do, we had some pictures we were going through the other day, some old pictures, and Ethel brought them out and showed them, and I look back, and man, back, back in the day when I had hair, and I was a lot thinner, and a whole lot younger, and, and uh, I remember those days, when I first got married, in 1984. That's my football number, I'll never forget that number. August 4th. 84, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 1984, right? <laughs> but I remember who, who John Cannon was in those days. You see, I got saved when I was 13. November 13th, 1977 is when I got saved in our church youth group. And I've shared that story numerous times with you. But as I came through high school, man, I got so far away from God. And I got into drunkenness, carousing, carrying on, just being dumb, really. And you know what? I thank God that he delivered me from that. And I go back and I see some of my buddies when I go back home. And one of the buddies, and I won't call his name because this goes on the podcast and it's heard everywhere. But I remember I saw him when I went back home. The last couple of times I was there, I, I saw him, and we ran into him in the grocery store. And he was one that I partied with. He can barely speak today. And his mind is, seems to be almost fried because of drugs and marijuana and, and other drugs. He can't even hardly talk. And I went up to him, and I approached him, and I'm talking, and gave him a big hug. Hey, how you doing? This is the guy I sat in church with. Really? This is actually, um, I better stop right there. <laughs> I just don't want anybody to hear it out on the podcast, this individual's name. But then when we left, Debbie and I looked at each other and said, wow. I can't, I can't, we couldn't even hardly understand him. And that's what sin had done to him. And that's what sin would have done to me. And I'm thankful that God delivered me from that. And I look back and... And that's what helps me to have this militant attitude towards sin. 
is because I know the destruction that it causes. And that's just the physical. I'm not even talking about the spiritual destruction that it causes. Eternal damnation. Separation from God. I was just literally talking about the physical destruction that it caused. So we need to look back. And whenever we look back and we can see what God has delivered us from, it ought to give us this militant attitude towards sin that we no longer want to be a part of it. We can see what Christ has delivered us from. So we need to have that attitude. Second type of attitude we need to have. Jot this one down. Not only a militant attitude towards sin, but secondly, in verses 4 through 6, we need to have a patient attitude toward the lost. Towards those that do not know Christ as their Savior, we need to be patient, church. Listen, you know why a dog barks? Because he's a dog. You know why a sinner sins? Because they're a sinner. You see, we, as believers in Jesus Christ, are given a new nature. It says, behold, all things are passed away and all things become new. We are a new man in Christ Jesus. But if no one has ever experienced the new birth, they have no idea what this whole thing called called faith and Christianity is all about. So the worst thing we could do as a church, listen to me church, the worst thing we could do as a church is be judgmental towards those that do not know Christ. We need to be patient. We need to exercise grace and mercy and love. Right? Hate the sin, but love the sinner, right? Understand what I'm saying? And guys, for us to be faithful, to remain faithful, yes, a militant attitude towards sin, but you can't just sit there and fight sin, although we got to do that. At the same time, you got to be patient with those that don't know. Look what he says in verse 4 through 6. So they're surprised. Who's the they? They that do not know Christ. They are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living. I remember when when I rededicated, recommitted my life to Christ and things completely changed. And Some folks say, well, I don't want to lose my friends. You know what? You're going to lose them. If they don't come to Christ, you're going to lose them. I mean, just accept it. I mean, you either party with them and provide transportation and provide the beer and hang out and party with them. If you don't provide that stuff anymore and you don't do that stuff anymore, they're going to have a hard time connecting with you. Right? And they are the ones that are surprised. Hey, why don't, why aren't you living with us anymore? Why aren't you hanging out? Why aren't you on the wild side with us any longer? That's what they're asking. And you know what they're going to do? Scripture says they're going to slander you. They're going to make remarks about you. They're going to make up stories about you. They're always goody two-shoe now, too good to hang out with us. Those are some of the things that I heard had nothing to do with that whatsoever. It had to do about this new life that I was living in Christ Jesus. Right? And understand, we're going to hear that from the other side. But what must we do? We must be patient with them. Why? Because they do not know. They will slander you, he says. They will give, and then it says in verse 5, that they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. And for this reason, the gospel is also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged by men in the fleshly realm, they might live by God in the spiritual realm. 
You see, unsaved people simply do not understand the radical change that takes place in an individual's heart when they give their life to Christ. They just do not understand it, nor will they ever. Right? So what we need to do as individuals, we need to be patient with them. We need to be kind, we need to be loving, be caring, be very patient. When they make remarks, understand they really don't, don't even know what they're really talking about. And that's what Peter's saying here. He's saying those that don't know Christ, they will slander you. And they will say, why aren't you hanging out with us any longer? I've experienced that. Maybe you have experienced that. And they'll say, you know what? You have lost your mind. You are completely, I don't know what happened to you, but you've lost it, man. Those are some of the things that I have heard. But you know what? That's not new. Because that's exactly what Festus told Paul. In Acts chapter 26 and verse number 24, after he shared with him, he said, Paul, you are out of your mind. And people are going to say the same thing about you. In Mark 3 and 21, it says, when his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, he is out of his mind. See, they don't understand. They're going to think, what in the world has happened to you? What's happened is we have a new nature. And for us to remain faithful through persecution, through hard places, through trials, the fiery darts of Satan, whatever it may be, we must have this militant attitude towards sin. But secondly, we must also be patient with the lost. Okay? Let me give you the third one. Jot this one down. Thirdly, in order to cultivate and to remain faithful in this lifetime, we must have an expectant attitude toward Christ Specifically, the return of Christ. We must have this expectant attitude toward Christ. In other words, we're looking for His coming. You see, even in Peter's day, which was in AD 64, at this writing, even at this time, they were, he was expecting Jesus to come at any moment. And it hadn't even been a hundred years yet that Jesus had gone. It had, been, it had been a very short span of time that Jesus had been gone. Just not, not long at all. But he was expecting him to come back. And church, you know what? He's been gone for some 2,000 years now. And some people think, well, he's been gone so long, he must never be coming back. No, 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 no. The fact that he's been gone for quite a while does not change the truth that he is coming back for his church. Nor does it change the truth that he is coming back to be the King of kings and Lord of lords on this earth when he brings the new heaven and the new earth. And even during the whole millennial reign thing, he is coming back, church. And what we need to live with is this expectant attitude that Christ will return soon. Paul oftentimes, oh, even come quickly, Lord Jesus. And I don't know about you, but maybe there's times when you're facing a difficult moment in your life and you pray that prayer. Oh, just come get us, Jesus. Sometimes I pray that, you know, just, just come get us. Man, I fought this battle. I, I've carried, I've been faithful. I've carried the word. I've preached the word. I've taught the word. I've lived the word. And I've fought the battles and the attacks of Satan. And sometimes it wears on you after a while. And you say, God, just come get me. I'm tired. Right? But we need to live with that attitude. We need to expect him to return. Look what he says in verse number 7, 1 Peter 4, 7. Now the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. Hmm. Now the end of all things is near. Church, we need to be living with the expectancy 
that Jesus is coming, and he may just come today. If not today, then he may come tomorrow. But we need to wake up every day looking for his coming, expecting him to come. Some people say, well, how do we live like that? So then I don't need to plan for college, or I don't need to plan for all the retirement, or I don't need to plan. No, 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 no. Here's how you do it. You live your life like Jesus is coming today. You plan your life like he's never coming. Because we don't know when he's coming. Right? Did you get that? You live your life like he's coming today. I mean, you need to be ready to see him face to face. Because one day, we will. We don't know when that day will come, but one day, he will come. And when he comes, we need to be ready. So live your life every single day like he could come at any moment. Expect him to come. But plan your life like he's never coming. Knowing that he is, but we don't know when he's coming. And so it may be the next generation, or the next generation, or the next generation. I don't know about you, but this whole relocation thing and purchasing the property and building the building, I'm excited. I am so excited to move in that thing. You just don't, you don't have any idea how excited I am. Some people ask me, when are we going to do the next phase? And I said, oh, oh, oh. And I told somebody at the church this past week, I said, you know what? I may not let the next generation build the next phase. I got them this far, I may pass the baton and let them do it. You know, I don't know. I don't know what God's plan is. Now, initially, when I drawed all this thing up, and I had this great big dream and this great big vision, and, and I'm so thankful it's coming true, but I'm thinking three to five years. I'm still kind of thinking that. But I don't want to say that too much. But I really just want to say, God, it's your timetable. I mean, I feel like, I feel like we've, we've pressed hard. We've pushed forward. We've stepped out on faith. And God's blessed. And I'm just going to let him take care of the rest of it. Just kind of back off a little bit. Matter of fact, I told somebody, I'm just going to rest. Matter of fact, I'm just going to rest. You know? It gets tired. Tiring. I I think I'm just going to rest. And Tyler, I'll let you and Daniel and y'all's next generation and next one's down. Let you guys kind of come on and take the vision and build the rest of it. I don't know. But you know what? I'm expecting him to come, but I'm planning like he's never coming. You see, that's what phase two and phase three is all about. It's planning like he's never coming, but it's living every day like he's coming any moment. And that's how we need to live. For us to remain faithful, I'll tell you what, you will, get this, you will remain faithful if you wake up every morning looking for the coming of the Son of God. You will remain faithful. The problem comes when you quit thinking about him coming. When you quit thinking about the things of God, I promise you then you're on the road to unfaithfulness. We need to have this expected attitude toward Christ. Matter of fact, I don't know where I got this. I found this somewhere. It's not original with me. But I want you to look in verses 7 down through verse number 19. I think I've got a slide for it. I want to give you what Peter says are are the Ten Commandments. I, I, I didn't put this together. It's in Scripture. I found this somewhere in some of my research and study. But somebody put this together. I thought, man, that's great. But I want you to look in verses 7 down through verse number 19. Here are the Ten Commandments to keep believers balanced as far as the Lord's return is concerned. Now, look what they are. First of all, be clear-headed. In verse number 7, he talks about keeping this clear head, this be steady, be clear-headed, keep your cool. The second thing, be disciplined for prayer. The third thing, love one another at full strength. 
Number four, be hospitable. Number five, use your spiritual gifts to serve others. Number six, don't be surprised when fiery ordeal arrives to test you. Number seven, rejoice. Number eight, do not be ashamed to suffer as a Christian. Number nine, glorify God. Number ten, entrust or commit yourself to the faithful creator, and that is God. That's just straight out of Scripture. Those are the Ten Commandments for waiting on Christ that we should live out every single day of our life. Well, let me give you the fourth attitude, and I'll stop with this one. Number one, be militant towards sin. Number two, be patient toward the lost. Number four, have an expectant attitude toward the return of Christ. And num- or number three, number four is this, a fervent attitude toward the saints. Now get this one. You see, we have this attitude towards sin. We have this attitude towards unbelievers and the lost. We have this attitude towards the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we're looking within the family, within the church family, within the local church. And we're now to have this attitude toward the saints or toward the believers. Look what he says in verses 8 through 11. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other. Since love covers a multitude of sins, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift that each one has received, use it to serve others. As good managers of the varied grace of God. And if anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. And if anyone serves, it should be from the strength that God provides. So that God may be glorified through Christ Jesus in everything. To him belongs the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Here's the thing. If we are really looking every day for the return of Christ then we will have the right thought process concerning our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he's saying here. And he lists several. Let me give you a few here. Number one, we should love one another. And that's what he says. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other. Love one another. And guys... These are the things we need to be doing. On a regular basis, we need to be loving each other. By the way, Jesus said in John 13, he said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples because of what? Because of your love for one another. In other words, Jesus has given the world, he's given unbelievers the privilege and the right to look in at the church and see how we treat each other to know if that is a true body of Christ or not. And these churches are always fussing and fighting and carrying on and aren't loving each other. Listen, I question, are you even saved? You may be saved, but you may be in a backsliding condition. Right? Say amen or on me. But there should be loving each other. Have this intense love for one another. It's the badge that we wear that tells the world that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. That I'm a child of God. You know, Kristen sends and posts pictures periodically of herself in a uniform. On one side it says United States Air Force. On the other side it has cannon. Those are the two badges that identify her. Cannon. United States Air Force. You know the badge that we're to wear every single day? That identifies us as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? You know what that badge is? It's love. And it's love for each other. And it's caring for each other. And it's loving each other. Right? And Paul, or Peter is saying, listen church, you're, you're getting ready to go through some intense persecution. And while you're going through this persecution, I want you to love each other. But then he says, not only I want you to love each other, 
Then he says, I want you to forgive each other. Have this intense love for each other and forgive each other. That's what it talks about, that love covers a multitude of sin. You see, Christian love is forgiving, right? It's forgiving. I promise you there's nobody in this room that's perfect. I'll be the first one to say that. You watch me long enough, you will see my imperfections. But there's nobody in here that's perfect. Amen? Can I say that again? There's no one in here that's perfect. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how long you've been a free will Baptist. There is nobody that's perfect. Say amen, church. So quit walking around like you are because you ain't. I know that's not good English. My grandmother was alive. She would pop my hand right there. Matter of fact, I never could end a sentence like, where is that at? She would always say, the answer's in your question. You never end a question or a sentence with a preposition. You remember that? Where is it at? The answer's in the question. You don't end it with at. Where is it? That's just some of my grandmother's stuff. She's in heaven. God bless you, Grandma. Listen, guys, we've got to forgive each other. Christian love is forgiving. And I believe here Peter quoted Proverbs 10 and 12, where he said, Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. You see, I believe this. Love does not condone sin, but love does cover and forgive sin. Are you quick to forgive? Or if you're loving your brothers like you're supposed to be loving and your sisters like you're supposed to be loving, then you'll be quick to forgive. Right? That's the difference a lot of times between boys and girls growing up. I'm amazed Tyler and his buddies can grow up, and as they were growing up, and, and man, they would, they would get, in, get in a fight one minute. I mean, they'd be duking it, going at it. I mean, just fighting. And next thing you know, give them about five minutes, ten minutes at max, and man, they're hanging out again. You know, got it all out of them. Girls? Oh, my. You let girls get in a cat fight, and that thing's going to carry on for years. Now, you know I'm telling you the truth, right? God says that Christian love is to be forgiving. Love forgives. Thirdly, he says we're to be hospitable to one another. As we're waiting for the Lord's return, we love each other, we forgive each other, and we'll be hospitable to each other. You know what that simply means? It means we're kind. Right? We're kind. We're welcoming. We're friendly. We're warm. We're open. We're generous. We're cordial. We're sociable. All those things we are to be for each other. And then the fourth one, we are to serve one another. And, and he talks about using our gifts that God has given us to serve each other. You know, and I look around at Victory Church and and I'm so thankful for the gifts that you guys have, that you bring and serve each other with in the church. And you guys do a great job of that. Just keep it up. You know, I met with Jake and Kristen this week. And, man, they're ready to get in here and serve and kind of talk about some of the things they're passionate about. And, man, they're going to get in there and, and serve and go at it. And that's what it takes. It takes all of us coming together. Everybody has a part. You say, what is my part? What do you enjoy doing? Where are you gifted? Get in there and do it. Right? Find a place. And serve each other. Well, I think for us to remain faithful, and I'm going to stop with that, we've got to have these four attitudes. We've got to have this militant attitude towards sin. We can never get to the place where we accept it. We've got to hate it. We've got to hate sin. Why? Because remember what it did to Jesus. It cost him his life. He came to die for it. 
So we need to put on the armor of faith every single day, get up, enter the battle, enter the warfare, and, and just battle and fight against sin and hate it. Hate it. Have this militant attitude towards sin. But secondly, be patient toward the lost. Those that don't know Christ, they don't understand. And we need to be patient. We need to extend mercy and compassion and be patient for those that don't know Christ. And then wake up every day expecting Jesus to come. Have this expectant attitude toward the return of Christ. And then lastly, this fervent attitude toward the saints, towards each other. I believe if we do that, we can remain faithful as a church. You can remain faithful in your Christian walk. And we can do great things for the cause of Christ in the face of persecution. And that's what Peter was writing. Within the context of his writing, it was in the face of intense persecution that was beginning to be unleashed on the church. And he said, guys, listen, as you're facing this persecution, have these four attitudes. Live in these things that I'm sharing with you. And then the church spread because of the great persecution that came on them. And they were faithful. I hope and pray you're faithful. I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. I hope and pray you do. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you're here this morning, just let me say first of all, and, and you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, that's where it begins. Everything that I've shared this morning primarily is for the Christian, for the believer. But if you're here today and, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, that's where it starts. I wonder right now, just sitting where you are, right now, right here this moment, do an inventory in your heart and your life. How are things between you and God? Are all things well? If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, can I share this little prayer of salvation with you? And would you please just right now, just in your heart, by faith, just pray this prayer and ask Christ into your heart. I'm going to say the prayer, and you just repeat it in your heart after me to God with sincerity. Say, Dear God, I believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. And I believe you came and lived a sinless life, and that you died on the cross for my sins. And you were buried. And three days later you came out of the grave victoriously. And you suffered my hell. You paid my sin debt. And right now, God, I pray you forgive me of my sins. Create in me a new spirit, a new heart, and a new nature. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Today I give you my life. Today I invite you into my life. I surrender to the Lordship of Jesus today. I just want to live for you. I don't understand everything in the Bible. I don't have all my theologies ironed out. But I do know that I need to trust you as my Savior. Today, right now, I give you my heart and I give you my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name I pray. His heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. For those that pray to accept Christ as your Savior today, I want you to take out your connection card and I want you to put your name and email address on there and I want you to check the block where you accepted Christ and I want to send you some material that will help you in your new journey of faith. I want to pray for you. Will you please do that for me? For those that are here that have already accepted Christ, 
But maybe you look at where you are and you do a spiritual inventory in your life and things just aren't where they need to be. Maybe you just need to rededicate and recommit your life to Christ today. I want you to be able to do that right now. Right there where you're sitting. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for the individual right now that just wants to recommit and rededicate their life to you today. We've faced possibly some persecution. We've gone through some valleys. We, we've faced some hardships in our, in our Christian life. And we've been hit with the fiery darts of Satan. And we've been wounded. And we're on the sideline. And we're discouraged. And we've been beaten down. And God, right now, we just want to be restored. And Father, right now, I pray for that individual. That they would cry out to you as the prodigal. Just come home. Just cry out to you. And say, God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me where I failed you. Forgive me where I stumbled. God, help me to live for you. Restore me into a right fellowship with you today. Father, I ask that you would just forgive me. Create in me a, a clean heart, oh God. Give me the, the strength to implement these, these attitudes that I am to have in my life as we face persecution that will come in the future. Today, Lord, I give, give my life back to you. Forgive me. Restore me. Replenish me. Send a spirit of revival in my spirit. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, for prayers that may have been prayed in this congregation this morning, I just pray a, a prayer of blessing over our entire congregation today. Thank you, Lord, for those that did business with you today. God, I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit, for, for meeting with us. God, we thank you for your word that we draw so much strength from. God, I thank you for our church family, and I ask you to bless them. Be with each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.